Thanks for tuning in to this message. My name is Jared Piney. I'm the online pastor here at Pathway, and I'm here with one of our worship directors and online hosts, Maddie Seitz. We hope this message is a valuable resource to you and helps you grow deeper in your faith. If you consider yourself a Christian and this message blesses you, I hope you'd consider giving back to us at Pathway so we can continue connecting all people to Jesus and helping them become his fully devoted followers. Learn more at pathwaychurch.com forward slash giving. And if you decide to take a step in your faith after the message today, simply visit pathwaychurch.com forward slash next so we can help provide you with resources and partner with you in this journey. Welcome Pathway family, Westlink, Goddard Valley Center, those of you who are watching online, the second week of our series, Shocking. Well, before I get started today, I wanted to let you know about some uh, significant changes that are happening here in our uh, Pathway family. Uh, Larry Wren, who has been our executive pastor, he's been on staff for over 40 years, is going to be retiring, uh, effective uh, June 30. Uh, Larry, if you don't know him well, he's just been a pillar uh, just on our leadership team. He's just contributed uh, just to the life of our uh, Pathway family just in countless ways. Just been an extremely uh, close friend of mine, and we're going to be really honoring and celebrating him uh, certainly in several ways in the months to come. But I'm excited today to announce, though, that Rodney Elliott, our Goddard uh, campus pastor, has accepted our invitation to be our new executive pastor for all of Pathway Church, effective July 1. And in addition to Rodney's transition uh, to executive pastor, David Integrin, the Goddard Next Gen pastor, is going to become the new uh, Goddard campus uh, pastor. So we're excited for those guys. And both those guys are going to be awesome. And I really just look forward uh, to what God is really going to be able to do uh, in all of their ministries. And before I get started today, I just wanted to pray for for Larry, uh, for Rodney, and for David in these important transitions that are going to be uh, happening here in, in our Pathway family. So would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, I just uh, uh, come before you right now. We come before you just as, as a Pathway family, and we just thank you so much, uh, God, for Larry, uh, for Rodney, for David. Uh, God, I just thank you so much for Larry and just the incredible contributions to God that, uh, that he's made to um, our church family. God, just the way that he has uh, faithfully uh, served. And, and I, God, I just thank you so much for uh, uh, Rodney and David and how you've raised them up for these new roles and responsibilities uh, that they're going to have. 
And God, I just pray for all these men and their families. God, I just pray that you'd bless them. God, I, I pray that you just uh, bless their families, God, and that you'd bless their ministries in these next days of the journey uh, that they're going to be on and that in many ways we'll all be on together. God, we just uh, love you and thank you that you always go before us. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as I launch into the message today, whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, there are a lot of popular sayings of Jesus that I think everybody uh, agrees with. I, I mean, Jesus was the author of the statement, love one another. I mean, this is a mantra really for people that are all over the world that I think everybody gets on board with. Or another statement that Jesus authored that he's very famous for is, let your light shine. So people for sure today, they like that. They want to make sure that they let their light shine. So there's all these statements, I think, that Jesus said that we all agree with and that we like to tweet, we like to post on Facebook. I mean, it just feels really good. But there are other statements that Jesus said that make us feel very uncomfortable, that are shocking. For example, uh, Jesus said, if you're angry towards someone in your heart, it's the same as you committed murder. So I'd hate to think about all the bad drivers out there that I have, I have murdered over the course of time in my heart. So Jesus says lots of other shocking things that cause us, though, to be able to take pause. Now, in our world, people often say shocking things. I mean, that is the way, I, I think, kind of in our new world order. Because what? They want to get some kind of reaction out of us. They want to get some kind of reaction. You know, this week I was uh, surfing out on the internet and I saw some uh, shocking headlines. So I thought maybe you'd want to check a few of these out. Here's the first one. Here's the farmer who shot the 23-pound grasshopper. I mean, that, that thing was like four feet long or something like that. I mean, to me, that's, that, that's shocking. Or, or how, about, about, how about this one? It's been leaked by the CIA that Vladimir Putin is a robot. He's a robot, you know, and he, he goes to the hospital to be able to get his circuits rewired. Or, or, or how about this one? Heaven has been photographed by the Hubble telescope. We have found out now where God lives. I mean, this is unbelievable. Uh, something that's very shocking. So people say all the time, and really in much more kind of uh, uh, covert ways or overt ways, shocking statements because what? They want to get a reaction out of us. They want to get clicks. That's how we talk about it now. But understand this. Jesus didn't say shocking things to get a reaction out of us. Rather, Jesus said them, said shocking things, to be able to get a response. Meaning his statements are revelation designed to be able to get us think about the reality of our lives. Jesus said shocking things because his intent was to be able to shock us out of complacency to be able to shock us out of our status quo, and to be able to shock us into transformed living. That's why he did it. To be able to shock us into a new transformed life that's so much better than we could have ever imagined. Now, the shocking statement that we're looking at today is found in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So today we're talking about how to deal with people who hurt you. How to deal with people that you don't want to love because they are really your enemies. 
And today Jesus shocks us once again and tells us something that is in complete diametric opposition to all the contemporary thinking of our day. And the contemporary thinking of our day is, if you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. If you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. If someone says something hurtful toward us on social media, email, or personally, they hurt us, it's, it's immediate, it's normative, and it's culturally expected that the response is to lash out and to be able to hurt them back. I mean, they deserve it. I mean, think about the political environment that we have been living in, especially over the last several years. It is culturally expected, normative, for people to lash out at each other and hurt each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's interesting that there was a study that came out a few years ago that took a group of subjects and paired them in twos. And people would receive pressure against their finger and they were told to exert the same amount of pressure on another person's finger. The interesting thing was they always inflicted more pain on the next person than they received themselves. Always. Pain felt is always greater than pain inflicted. So as a result, there's always this escalating phenomena of hurt that perpetuates itself. And I can tell you, at the Carter house, particularly when our five boys were younger, we saw that phenomena all the time. <laughs> I mean, I can remember one time I had my boys with me in a bar in Latham, Kansas, after we'd done some farm work uh, for a friend of mine. And we hadn't been there too long when our third son, Luke, kicked our second son, Nick, underneath the table. And all of a sudden, Nick threw like a haymaker punch at Luke. And all of a sudden, we met, and we had this full-blown fist fight going on. I mean, they had their, their first bar fight when they were five and six years old. <laughs> so I dragged them out of there. And needless to say, though, it all started because of a you hurt me, I'll hurt you back kind of situation. So I want you to think for a moment. What about you? Who is that person who has hurt you? Your enemy that, that you want to hurt back. Maybe it's your boss that uses their power and their position uh, to make you and everyone else's life miserable. Maybe it's a friend or a family member who constantly takes digs at you in order for them to be able to feel better about themselves. Or maybe it's a spouse or a parent that continually hurts you by what they say or by what they do. And not only who is it that's hurt you, but how do you respond when they hurt you? I don't know about you, but if I'm deeply honest, I don't respond really too much different than my boys. My instinctive reaction when somebody has hurt me is to hurt them back because I want to make sure that they never hurt me again. And what I do and what I believe all of us do is we keep perpetuating the cycle of hurt and pain. We keep perpetuating the cycle of you hurt me, I'll hurt you back that has existed all the way since the days of the Garden of Eden. And in the end, it creates division, it creates lawsuits, it creates wars, and ultimately, it kills people. And that's why Jesus said this shocking statement, love your enemies, because he knows the damage that happens to us and to other people as we allow this continuing cycle of revenge 
to stay in our hearts. But it's interesting, in the verses immediately preceding Jesus' statement here, he actually gives us some very specific instructions and situations where we can kind of live this out. Now, just to caveat this just for a moment, uh, these are some of the probably most misunderstood words in the New Testament. And a lot of times people misinterpret Jesus' words here as kind of giving a law that kind of turns a person into a doormat. If a person hurts you, you just have to continually to keep allowing them to hurt you just as long as they want. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's how people misinterpret Jesus' words here. But there are boundaries. But Jesus is saying to Christ followers, as you live this new life, as you learn to live depending on God for security and for love, it, it actually makes it possible for you for you to be able to relate to people in a new kind of way. So listen to what Jesus says about how that we can love our enemies. He says, beginning with verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So first of all, Jesus says to love the hurtful person. Now why in the world does Jesus get so specific here and say that we're to let a person strike us on our right cheek? Well, what difference does it make which cheek that they strike? Well, society in Jesus' day was built around shame and honor, and to attack someone's honor was huge. And in that society, the left hand was considered unclean. You couldn't use it for eating. You couldn't use it for hitting somebody. It was considered less than honorable uh, for you to be able to use your right hand. So if you were going to hit somebody, you uh, hit them, uh, and if you, if you hit them with your right hand, if you were going to strike them on their right cheek, it would be done with the back of your hand. So the way publicly to insult someone was to backhand them. So there was a physical slap that, involved, that was involved, but that really wasn't the most hurtful thing back in the first century. Back in the first century, the biggest hurt was to publicly degrade the other person. It was something that you only uh, would do to a person who was socially inferior to you. It was the only thing that you would do to a person who was a slave. So if you're a follower of Christ and you get into conflict with somebody and somebody hurts you or somebody embarrasses you publicly, what should you do? Because everything in you and every expectation of our culture is that you're going to hurt them back. You're going to hurt them personally or you're going to lash out on them uh, you know, on some kind of a social media platform and say something publicly to be able to hurt them back. But Jesus is saying here to us, your safety, your honor are in the hands of your heavenly father. It's already secure. You, you, you don't have to take redemption. You don't have to keep lashing back out. Instead, you can look for strong and creative ways to refuse to participate in perpetuating the cycle of you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. And as you stop that cycle what will happen is heaven will come to earth. It reminds me a little bit of a friend of mine here in our Pathway family that I'll call Jake. And Jake was an alcoholic, a drug addict for many years. And during that time frame, Jake did all kinds of hurtful things toward his wife. But after Jake turned his life over to the person of Jesus Christ and really started following, his, on his, following Jesus, he found out that his wife had cheated on him. 
And even after he confronted her, she continued to do it. But he said to a friend of mine, in this situation, right now, I believe God is calling me to turn the other cheek and forgive. He said, I just want my wife to be able to know God's love. He said that he knew that he had hurt God, he hurt his wife before he had became a Christ follower, and he said, I know that I need to be able to show Christ's love to my wife right now in a way that she can see it and understand it. You see, he wanted to stop the cycle of hate and hurt like Jesus had done for him so that his wife could be able to come to her senses and be able to know and be able to uh, come to know Jesus as well. So Jesus' exhortation for us here in these verses is to love the hurtful person. Well, Jesus says next in verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So next Jesus is saying, love the adversary. Love that person who wants to fight with you. And there are so many issues right now that are adversarial issues right now. I mean, we've, we've got masks and vaccines, and we've got political parties, we've, we've got things that happen in our homeowners association, or like Jesus even specifically mentions right here, lawsuits. And Jesus says specifically here, if somebody wants to sue you and take away your shirt, give him your cloak as well. And this was crazy, especially in Jesus' day, because if somebody was being sued for their shirt, how much money do you think that person really had if they were being sued for their shirt? I mean, this person is desperately poor. So the idea here is, if you're in that situation, you're poor, somebody takes you to court and they take away your shirt, if you're a Christ follower and you, you know that your heavenly father is going to be watching over you, he's going to be taking care of you, Jesus says, take off your coat and give him to that as well. And say to that other person, here, take this as well, if you think it will help. Of course, I mean, it would be super hard if a poor person is naked. Nakedness was extremely humiliating back in the first century in the nation of Israel. But the aim here is in a spirit of humility to help that other person come to their senses so that a relationship might be healed and that in an ongoing way, that rich person might stop mistreating poor people. And no, too, here, Jesus isn't giving a formula. I think we look at some of these verses, well, this is the formula. This is how I'm supposed to handle this exact kind of situation. No. The aim here is for you to be creative and strong in the work of reconciliation and restoration of that other person. And as a Christ follower, you can be free to be able to do that because you know if you're a Christ follower, you're in the care. You're in the care of your heavenly Father. You don't have to be a victim of either the desire for revenge or the fear that you're going to be victimized again. Another kind of life is now possible for you, and, and, and you'll be right, God's going to be right there with you to be able to enable you to live this new kind of life. So, love the adversarial person. And next, Jesus goes on. He goes on in verses 41 and 42, and he says this, if someone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So next, Jesus says, love the power abuser. And Jesus gives another illustration here of a person, how they might get taken advantage of. And he says, if you're uh, someone, if someone comes to you in essence and, and forces you to go with them one mile, go with him two miles. 
Now, the word forces is a word that means to press into service. And, and I've read that there was a Roman law that gave soldiers the right to force civilians into service for a period of time. So Jesus says, a Roman soldier, for example, may make you carry something for a mile, which is required by law, finish that mile, and then look him in the eye and say, can I go with you too? Can you imagine how that, that would blow that Roman soldier's mind? Nobody did that for Roman soldiers back in the first century. I mean, they were an occupying force that was hurting people. That, that would be like you and I in our day, being able to send money to the IRS and we didn't know them anything. <laughs> Remember though, Jesus isn't given a, a law here. He, he's not saying you always have to go an extra mile. He's saying you can be strong. You, you can be creative. And in crazy, amazing ways, like I've done that for you to be able to do this work of reconciliation and restoration. You can love the hurtful person. You can love the adversarial person. You can love the authoritarian power abuser. You can do that. I've given you that. I've modeled it for you. And you have now the power to be able to do that because your heavenly father has made you secure. So what's that really look like then? What's that really look like? How do we live that out in this world? How can you and I be strong and creative in loving our enemy? Well, just down the road, a few years ago in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was a young man by the name of Tom McGee. And Tom loved, he loved to go out and party all the time. And one night, he got drunk, and he had a head-on car collision with another young man by the name of Ted Morse. Ted was killed instantly. And it wasn't the first time that Tom McGee had been arrested for drunk driving. He was put in jail for manslaughter, found guilty, sentenced to prison. But the prison was very crowded. He was given early parole and only served a few months in jail. Tom learned and learned his lesson, though. It wasn't for too long that he went back out and he was arrested again for drunk driving. So his parole was revoked and he was sent back to prison to be able to complete his original sentence. But Jack Morris, the victim's father, found out he had been sent back to prison, so he went there to visit him. Remember, Tom is the guy who killed his son. And after visiting Tom several times, Jack started taking cookies that his wife Elizabeth had baked for him. And Tom and Jack, they became friends. And finally, Tom was released from prison, but he had no place to go. So Jack and Elizabeth Morris invited him into their home and gave him a place to stay. They provided means by which he could receive an education. They helped him find a, a job. They were members of a church in Tulsa, so they invited Tom to church. Tom came to church and he later accepted Jesus Christ as the leader and the savior of his life. Jack and Elizabeth Morris have now even formally adopted Tom McGee and made him their son. When Jack and Elizabeth Morris die, Tom McGee will inherit everything they've accumulated in this earthly life. You see, Jack and Elizabeth Morris, they love their enemy. They love their enemy, and as they love their enemy, heaven came to earth. 
They creatively and strongly stop the cycle of you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. And I want to let you know that you and I can still do that today. And this week, you and I may not get slapped. We may not get sued. And we'll probably not be forced by a soldier to be able to carry his pack. But I promise you, (laughs) we'll have some other opportunities to be able to love our enemies so that right now, heaven can still come to earth. And so this week, I want to give you a phrase to help all of us, to help all of us to be able to love our enemies, all right? And here's the the phrase that I want to give you. Here's my chance. And the idea is that every time somebody hurts you, you have the opportunity to be able to love them and to be able to see heaven come to earth. And make sure that we're kind of all kind of getting this. We're going to say that phrase, all right? We're going to say it out loud together, all right? Because I promise you this week, somebody's going to come. They're going to ask you for your favor, somebody that you don't want to help. Maybe it's the cranky person at work. Uh, Maybe it's the irritable person that you live with. And it's probably something that you don't want to do. But instead of thinking, I don't want to do anything for this person that's my enemy. They've hurt me. I want to hurt them back. But instead, you know what we're going to say together? We're going to say, here's my chance. Here's my chance. Or maybe it's a different situation. Maybe you're in a situation that makes you mad. You're driving down Kellogg. Uh, You're just minding your own business, but there's a lot of traffic. And then somebody weaves right in front of you and cuts you off. And in that moment, instead of giving them the finger and screaming out your window, you are going to say, we are going to say, here's my chance. All right? Or maybe this week you see a person, somebody that's hurt you, somebody that's betrayed you, cheated on you, violated your friendship, and instead of throwing them under the bus to another person, instead of saying or doing something hurtful toward that person, all of us are going to say, here's my chance. Here's my chance. Here's my chance. You see, these situations will be you and I's chance to be able to be changed from the inside out and allow heaven to come to earth today. You see, we don't have to keep being a part of perpetuating the cycle of hostility that has filled this earth. We can stop. We can let it go. We can say, here's my chance. We can love our enemies. And as we do that, like Jesus did when he came to this earth, heaven will come to earth and this world will be changed. The world will be changed as we do that. That's how it happens as we live out this new kind of life that Jesus has given us. The world gets changed. That's how it happens as we live out Jesus' life inside of us. So as we begin to close today, I just want us to pray about that. I want us to pray about doing that better. So I just want to ask everyone at all of our locations, those of you who are watching online, just bow your head, close your eyes with me. And I just want to spend some time right now talking to God about this in prayer. And as we begin to pray right now, I want you to think for a moment about the last week of Jesus' life. And on the final week of Jesus' life, we're told that his enemies surrounded him and they slapped him. They struck him with their fists. Then they took him to court, they put him on trial, they condemned him to death, and then as the ultimate expression of humiliation, the soldiers took his shirt. And then, as those soldiers took him 
to the cross, there was one particular Roman soldier that forced him to carry the cross. They forced him to carry that cross until he could carry it no more. You see, that's the one we follow. The way of Jesus is the only way we can break the cycle of you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. So today, if you know that you need to get better at letting go of your hurts and not uh, hurting back, but loving your enemies, loving your enemies. I mean, I want you to lift up your hand right now. Lift up your hands right now. If you're, if you're watching online, you can put me in the chat, but lift up your hands right now. If you know that you need to get better at stopping the cycle of you hurt me, I'll hurt you back, and loving, truly loving your enemies, lift up your hands. Say, God, I hear you today. I need to get better. I need my heart to be changed. Praise God. Praise God, me too. My heart needs to continually to be transformed. Let me pray for us right now. Oh, Father in heaven, we just come before you just acknowledging our brokenness. Our brokenness and our tendency to follow the pattern of this world of you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. We confess that, God. We confess it. We own it. And God, we come before you right now and we want to be changed. We want to commit and we want to give ourselves to you and allow you to be able to change us from the inside out that we would be motivated and that we would take steps of action to be able to love our enemies. To love our enemies the way that you've loved us. Now as we continue to pray right now, I know there's others of you who have never taken that first step of making Jesus Christ the leader and the savior of your life. And I want to let you know that the wonderful thing about Jesus is even though that we've done hurtful things toward him, we've done hurtful things toward others, he doesn't want to lash out and hurt us back. No. Instead, he wants to love us. He wants to love us and he wants to draw us into a relationship with him and a whole other new kind of life. And so right now, so right now I want to invite you to accept his invitation that he offers you to be able to have relationship in this new kind of life. And so don't miss it. Don't miss it, this opportunity today. He's been offering it to you. Accept his invitation today to this whole other new kind of way of living. Make Jesus Christ the leader, the savior of your life. I invite you right now, pray this prayer. Pray this prayer with me right now. Oh Lord Jesus, I know that I've made mistakes that I've hurt other people and I've hurt you. I'm a sinner. But today, Jesus, I choose you. I choose your new way of living life. I make you the leader and the savior of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for my sins. And now use my life, Jesus. Use my life, Jesus, to be able to go and offer your mercy your love to other people. Now with everybody's head still bowed right now, eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time and you made Jesus the leader, the savior of your life, man, I want you to raise up your hand. You to raise up your hand real high. Say to God that you became a part of his family today. Raise it up. Raise your hand real high. Say, I became a part of your family today, God. 
Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Raise up your hand real high. Say it to God right now. Say it to him. Say you want to be a part of his family, that you made that decision today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much today for my friends, my brothers and sisters who surrendered their life to you. God, you are so good. God, you are so good. Even though that we were enemies toward you, you loved us and you sent your son. Pray just bless my friends, my brothers and sisters who surrendered their life to you today. And I just pray all these things right now in Jesus' name. Amen.